Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of Cloud Accounting Weekly, the podcast edition. We're recording live on CPA Academy uh, Learning Platform. It's a provider of free live CPA webinars. Check it out at cpaacademy.org. Cloud Accounting Weekly, if you don't know about it, it's a newsletter I write focusing on accounting technology and apps and the future of the profession, managing a modern practice, marketing a modern practice, and pretty much anything of interest to somebody who owns or works in a firm that is using cloud applications for doing outsourced accounting. Uh, this podcast is basically the same idea, but in audio form. I'm Blake Oliver, the editor of Cloud Accounting Weekly. I'm also a manager in the West Los Angeles office of Armin Nino, a fantastic CPA firm where I've been working for about a year on the outsourced finance and accounting team. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at Blake T. Oliver. My guest today is Phil Gross. He's an accountant based out of Denver. He is a very generous contributor to Cloud Accounting Weekly. You can follow him on Twitter as well at Philip G. Gross. Phil, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Blake. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking about this. Awesome. So before we get started, what is one non-accounting related thing that people should know about you? Um, with winter coming, I'm pretty excited about the ski season coming up. Uh, got my epic pass, and we'll try to be in the mountains pretty much every weekend. Oh, I'm super jealous. It's pretty cold there, right? <laughs> yeah, it's in the 30s today. Wow. Uh, and we're just coming down from 100-degree temperatures here in L.A. <laughs> so I'm going to have to get out to Denver and, and, and take advantage of uh, crashing on your couch or something. Yeah, definitely. You have to be ready for 4 a.m. wake-ups. Awesome. Well, you know, I try to beat the traffic here in L.A. by getting up early, so it won't be that bad. <laughs> So thanks, Phil. Um, thanks for being here. Um, how this is going to work is that Phil and I have selected five of our top cloud accounting stories from the past few weeks. We're going to take turns sharing and discussing. And uh, let's see what we've got first. So the big news, if you hadn't heard about it, is that Deloitte got hacked. Uh, this was basically in late 2016. It was October or November. Um, that's when it started. And Deloitte uh, didn't discover it until, I believe, March of 2017. And this story broke in The Guardian uh, in September. So this actually happened quite a while ago, and it's not just coming to light. Uh, it's not unusual that a company gets hacked. Experian got hacked. Uh, you know, it's, it seems to be happening every few months now. But I think what is really shocking about this story, uh, if you dig into it, is that uh, it was an administrator's uh, password that was stolen, and the hackers were able to get in because uh, the, the account was not protected by multi-factor authentication, which means that, uh, if you haven't heard of it, multi-factor authentication means you need to have both the password and some other form of identification, such as your phone, uh, in order to get into an account. So, um, for instance, uh, if you use uh, Google, you can set up two-factor authentication where when you log in, you get a text message to your phone, something like that. So this just, I don't know about you, Phil, but this just really shocked me that like a firm like Deloitte would not have multi-factor authentication enabled for its administrators. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that <laughs> that is pretty shocking as well as the fact that they have a cybersecurity team that does consultations for government agencies, for big businesses, that also does auditing, you'd think one of their 
one of their controls would be auditing their own financial or their own cybersecurity systems, right. making right. sure and everything you, was in place. In 2012, I think they were cybersecurity consultants of the year, right? Yeah. And and this is this is pretty basic. Now, I mean, I understand not a lot of um, small firms are actually using multi-factor, but for everyone listening, um, I highly recommend that you look into it. Um, Google Apps, um, Office 365, um, and most of the major cloud accounting applications allow for this now. Uh, so if you, if you don't have it turned on, I think it's a really good idea to do that. I, I also use I use a Google Authenticator. Um, it's even a higher security uh, backup than text message because technically a hacker could a send an email reset to your email and then b somehow get onto your cell phone and get that text message and log in. Google Authenticator pretty much takes that completely out. Um, it's basically like a key code that um, regenerates every 30 seconds and you have to type that in in order to get it and the only way to get it on your phone is to download the app and as soon as it's on the app that's the only phone that can have that authenticator. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I use something similar. I use LastPass Authenticator which if mm -hmm. a site has Google Authenticator enabled you can just use LastPass Authenticator. Um, one of the things I like about LastPass Authenticator is that you can back up those codes to your LastPass account um, mm -hmm. so that when you, if you get a new phone, for instance, you don't have to go and reset up the, right. the Google Authenticator for every account, which yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such a pain at this point. That <laughs> it, 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 I almost, when I, when I was upgrading from I, the iPhone 7 to 8, I almost didn't want to because of that. <laughs> I'd have to go, you know, redo all of my, my codes, but yeah, yeah it's a great way to um, make sure that, that you and your firm stay secure. And, and if you don't have a password manager in general, right, check out LastPass. Phil, are there any other password managers that you recommend? I use LastPass. LastPass. Uh, that's the only one. I think 1Password is a good option for Mac users. Um, there's also a free one called KeePass, but I, but I think LastPass is probably the best bet um, because mm -hmm. you can you can manage it from a, a administrator console, so you can have all your staff have vaults with all their client passwords, uh, and then if they leave, they're not going to take all that with them in some Excel file. The the other takeaway from the Deloitte hacking uh, is they hacked the emails. So if there were attachments or passwords or social security numbers in the yeah. emails, the hackers got them. If you set something up like HubDoc, where you're getting your documents virtually. Mm -hmm. Then it would take a hack of HubDoc, not a, ha a hack of your email. So even more important to make sure your emails are just, hey, can you do this for me? Not, hey, can you send me all your social security number numbers of your employees? That's a really good point. Yeah, have a separate system for, you know, I, I think ShareFile is a popular one. You could use HubDoc. You could use ReceivBank. Um, Zero now, yeah, Zero now even has a way for you to get documents from clients outside of email. They they created a, a tab called Ask in Zero HQ, and you can uh, have you seen this, Phil? It's really cool. You can. Um, I haven't gotten into that yet. You can basically create a request, email it to the client. They get an email that has a button that says respond to request, and then they can go fill in the answers to your questions and upload files. And it's all within Zero, which is can be protected by multi-factor. So, mm -hmm. uh, great, 
great option. All right, well, I've I've talked about Deloitte plenty. I'm continue to do it, but I think we should move on to our next story, which is one that you have brought to us, Phil. So yes. I'll let you present this one. Yeah, and I think you've had some posts and topics on this remote work debate. Um, basically, Zoom has this YouTube video where um, the CEO of uh, the CEO of Zapier. Yep. Is it Zapier? It was Zapier. Yeah. And who's the other guy? I don't remember. Um. Doesn't yeah, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but Zapier, Zapier is 100% remote. Um, everyone works remote in that company. And the other guy who was debating, everyone goes to work every day. And I have an interesting perspective because I was working remote for a couple years, and now I work in office working with my peers. And I don't know, I even... I'm not sure how I stand on it. I I definitely like going into the office. You have, you can just walk up to someone's desk and ask them a question, and it builds camaraderie. But at the same time, I understand the remote work freedom or expected freedom from working remotely. I don't know what our Menino policy is. Yeah, yeah. So it's I'm in a similar situation where. Uh, I had my own uh, virtual bookkeeping firm for uh, almost three years, and then we merged with a virtual CPA firm, and I worked there for almost a year. Uh, so probably like three, three and a half years in total, I was completely remote working from my home office. I also had a WeWork office. I think that helped in terms of making me feel a little less isolated. Um, but to, to get back to this, this video, so what this is is uh, Zoom, uh, had an, an their I think it was their first annual user conference and Zoom is a maker of, um, of video conferencing tools similar to um, GoToMeeting and so they put on this what they called the Great Debate where they had um, one um, CEO arguing in favor of having a virtual company the other arguing uh, in favor of having everyone come to the office every day and so I actually agreed with both of them um, <laughs> I I I feel like you know I mean. I drive to work in LA every day now, and in order for me to survive and not, you know, want to kill myself, I have to get up super early so I avoid traffic. That's what I did this morning. I, I left the house at 5:45 a.m. so I could get to work in 15 minutes. If I leave at seven, it takes me an hour. So, um, you know, I love I love working at home, but I also kind of sometimes feel isolated from my team. I you, you forget what they look like, <laughs> you know, you forget. Yeah. But they are, you know, they they seem less human somehow. And then, you know, when I come to the office, uh, even though it's a pain to get here, I I love the the, the you, there's just no replacement for that in-person feeling. That and that's the argument that this other CEO made, which is um, that you need to have if you want to build a culture, you need to have everyone in the office. So yeah, you know, all the benefits of working from home versus the benefits of having a culture, like how do you decide? It's really tough. So yeah. I know I've, I've actually, I've, I've sort of come around. I used to be very, very pro remote work, 100%. Now I'm back in the office. And I don't know, I feel like a hybrid approach is probably the best. Mm -hmm. So that's so how my current, that? yeah, my current employer, we have unlimited PTO. So it kind of makes the whole debate go out the window is kind of the hybrid approach because if you're in Denver, if you're 
going to work that day, you go to the office. If you're traveling or doing something else, you're on PTO. It's <laughs> it's kind of the best of both worlds. You get you get your time away, you get your freedom, but you also need to go in the office and build camaraderie. Yeah, I feel like that's the way most companies are going to go. It's going to be just more flexible work. The office is not your you know the place where you go to work necessarily all the time. Um, so. Like an example of that here at Armanino is we've started basically everyone works from home on Fridays. Like nobody ever, like very few people come to the office on Fridays. I think across most teams, um, just because it's nice to have that one day where you're not getting up super early to drive in traffic. And a lot of people go even farther than I do. Um, and I feel like that'll just I want to I want to have that be two days a week, right, for the team. So really, you're only dealing with being in the office like Tuesday through Thursday. And I feel like that's enough time to build the camaraderie, especially if you schedule team lunches and whatnot at that time. And then, you know, the Mondays and Fridays, you get to actually get, you know, heads down, work done at home where you're not distracted. And that's the other thing I don't like about being in the office is unless I close my door, I'm constantly getting bombarded by stuff that's not, <laughs> ur not urgent, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's one thing I've had a struggle with in my new role as a manager is just dealing with like you know staff right and then, then their concerns which you know that may be urgent to them but may not you know I've got other fires burning right so right. I think it's a great video I suggest that everyone check it out it's called Zoomtopia 2017 the great debate all right moving on uh, so my this is my my next story it's um, zero, the untold story. It's uh, an article in Business Insider Australia from back in September that I just read, um, I think a week ago. Um, it's a really neat deep dive into the history of Zero, the um, accounting software company, uh, competitor to QuickBooks, if you haven't heard about it. Um, surprisingly, still a lot of accountants and bookkeepers aren't aware of it here in the US. But um, I, I was one of the first bookkeepers to get certified on it, so this is very interesting to me and we built the, the my bookkeeping company that we built was entirely around um, serving zero-based clients so there's a lot in this article it's a long read check it out um, and I'll put a link in the show notes uh, but the the thing that I thought was really funny is that um, when when Rod Drury the founder was looking for a name and a domain name in particular for his software company uh, he wanted zero xero.com, but of course, even at that time, in 2007, I think, um, the domain was taken, and it, it belonged to a guy who, uh, in the U.S., uh, who used it as a Lincoln Park fan site, the band. Uh, and it turns out, I didn't know this, but Lincoln Park, when they were in Santa Monica before they got famous, their first band name was Zero Xero. So. <laughs> So the the cloud you know the the billion dollar cloud accounting company basically took its name a discarded band name from Lincoln Park. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, I always like the trivia of random facts like that. Uh, my favorite my favorite nerd trivia is uh, ABBA. They wore their crazy outfits just to avoid taxes in Sweden. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> It's if they could deduct the outfit. They could deduct them because they were so crazy they wouldn't be worn otherwise. Oh, maybe I should start doing that with my work clothing. Right. <laughs> That's great. Um, 
That's really great. All right, Phil, your turn. Oops. There we go. Next next story. Um, so this is an article that basically lists reasons why you would keep your um, why you'd keep data from one migration to the other. Say you're going from QuickBooks to Zero or any other kind of conversion. Um, walks you through like four reasons that people do keep it tax compliance, management and reporting, operational needs, and auditing. Oh, and Phil, sorry to interrupt you, but for those of us who are, li for those who are listening on the podcast and can't see my screen, um, the article is called Four Reasons Why You Shouldn't Bother Moving Data to a New Accounting File. Yes. And it's, it's, by, um, it's on Digital First, which is a great blog in Australia about cloud accounting. So anyway, sorry to interrupt, Phil. <laughs> um, so I see a lot of people post in forums and um, accounting, just cloud accounting questions about what do I do when I convert my client from 2016 to 2017? Do I bring all the data in? What um, what should I do? I, I say best practice, and I've heard other people say best practice is just don't worry about the data. Bring in beginning balances and work forward. Um, and this this article outlines four reasons that people do bring data and basically summarizes you don't need to. Don't even bother with it. Um, you can keep it in a spreadsheet. I'm guessing that you agree with that or, or yes, not? I, I full-heartedly agree with it. So, yeah, I'm a little torn. I, I mean, obviously it's far easier just to pick a cutoff date and import a trial balance and not worry about the historical information. But there's a part of me that loves having, you know, at least a year's history with each vendor and customer in the system, so it's easy mm -hmm. to look up. But yeah, a lot of the time, I would agree that get the, you know, the complexity of of doing a conversion if there isn't an, a built built-in tool um, makes it really not worth it. Yeah, and I've seen, I mean, I've seen QuickBooks to zero conversions that just turn their accounting system into some Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, if it's not You don't even want right. to play with it, right. Yeah. So if you're not going to pay for someone really good to do it, I just don't see the point in trying. So one option, so Zero has its own, if you're converting, say, from QuickBooks to Zero, they have um, an import tool. It's, it's, fair, it's gotten a lot better. It's a lot easier to use at this point. There still can be issues. Um, there are also services that you can find on the Zero Marketplace that will let you convert files, uh, or that will do the conversion for you. I think you have to pay, you know, something like five hundred dollars for that type of service. So might be worth it. Um, I would actually recommend doing that if you're going to convert all your data, uh, yeah. so you don't have to deal with headaches. But and make sure, and, sorry, make, sure your, make sure your other books that you're converting are clean. Oh yeah, that's the other mistake I've made is is always clean up the books before you convert. Don't try to convert and then clean up later. That is a nightmare. Yeah. Um, and and so also I we should point out if you're going the other direction, let's say you've got a zero client and, and you you are a you know QuickBooks person and you want to convert them to QuickBooks, um, there is no current tool to convert from zero to QuickBooks. So for that. I really, yeah, it's not, it's not going to be a good situation to try and, you know, export the GL and import that into QuickBooks. It's going to be a disaster most mm -hmm. of the time. Same goes for conversions to intact or from intact down to something else. Um, 
I would, I would, I would definitely agree with this. The hard part is going to be convincing clients. So, Phil, how do, how do you convince a client that they don't need their data? Uh, that's a tricky. At the end of the day, the client's the one paying. <laughs> if they, if they want their data converted, you do what you got to do for the dollar. Yeah. Uh, so I, I if think I had it my way, the clients would not convert their data. Yeah, it's probably the easiest thing to do is take their, um, you know, general ledger data, their customer data, you know, invoice, historical invoices, put those all into like a Google Drive folder so they can go access that easily. Um, mm -hmm. You know, search it if they need to. That's the best solution I've got for them. You could you could create a nice pivot table with all their vendors. Yeah, there you go. Tell them to tell them to look at that if they ever want their vendor history. Awesome. All right, this is our last story. Um, number five is that J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, well, I should say it was more than J.P. Morgan, but basically Bill.com um, in October raised $100 million, uh, and J.P. Morgan Chase was one of the investors along with Temasek. Um, and this was really interesting to me because uh, I've been a long-time user of Bill.com. I think actually it's probably the app that I've started with in the club before anything else. Um, and if you're not familiar with Bill.com, it's an accounts payable uh, automation tool. Um, you can run an approval process for bills, paperless bills. You pay your bills by check or ACH. Basically takes that entire accounts payable operation and makes it paperless. So when I was doing bookkeeping, this was just essential uh, so I didn't have to drive around in LA. Uh, and what is interesting to me about this is that a lot of uh, fintech startups, which Bill.com is basically a financial technology um, company, even though they're not a startup anymore. I guess they've been around for 10 years now. Um, but they're disrupting um, the industry, right? Traditional um, banking, online banking, that sort of thing. And you know, traditionally when that happens, the bank, they, they fight with the banks, right? They, they are trying to displace them. And what I find really fascinating about Bill.com's strategy is that they have not tried to do that. Maybe they did at the beginning, but they have actually created um, really powerful partnerships with major banks uh, that include, obviously, Chase and also Bank of America. And Bank of America now uses Bill.com as its uh, online bill pay tool for uh, businesses through its Cash Pro product. So if you have a client that uses Cash Pro or you, you use it yourself, Bill.com is actually powering the bill pay on the back end. Uh, and I believe that with this investment, that's what Chase intends to do as well. So it's interesting. You know, Bill.com is partnering with major banks, and, and so the banks get the benefit of the technology. And I believe that Bill.com's strategy is to uh, just get access to you know, potentially processing millions, if not billions, of transactions. So it's a really interesting play, I think, from, from Bill.com's perspective. And it must be working because they're really the only game in town when it comes to automating accounts payable. I haven't, Phil, maybe you're aware of something. I'm not, but I haven't found any other app that can take an accounts payable process that we used to do on you know, checks and, and move it into the cloud. There, there, yeah. there, are, um, there are apps that will do ACH, but not, not the paper checks. Yeah, I I don't know of anything, um, and I think Bill.com is definitely a leader in all of that. I it's hard to imagine running AP without it. Oh yeah, it would be. So 
Yeah, my biggest time saver was Bill.com initially. I mean, and this was, you know, when when say you know QuickBooks and Zero still in the cloud were still pretty basic, um, really essential. So that's it for our uh, five top news stories of the I say past month. Now we've got some time left over. I'd love to do a little Q and A if anyone has any questions. If not, we'll just uh, take a break. Um, I want to thank Edward for subscribing. Thanks, Edward, for joining the newsletter. Uh, and if you, like Edward, are interested in uh, subscribing to my weekly cloud accounting newsletter, you can visit cloudaccountingweekly.com. I'm not seeing any questions come through. Uh, I'll give you a few more seconds if there's anything you'd like to say. And it doesn't seem like it. So, Phil, I really want to oh. thank you. Lawrence has a question. How about polling questions? Oh, we are not doing polling questions, Lawrence. Um, this is, I, I, I hope everyone heard Matt at the beginning, but this is a non-CPE uh, webinar, at least for now, uh, because we're under the, I think you have to be an hour to qualify for CPE. Maybe we will do that at some point. Um, also, also, we have Edward asking our thoughts on share, share file. file. Yeah. Um, Phil, have you used either of those? I have not. I, so I have used SmartVault. Um, I have not used ShareFile, but I'll tell you, based on my experience, I hate to badmouth apps. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Smart Vault. I'm a much bigger fan of Box when it comes to uh, document storage. I understand Smart Vault has some really powerful integrations, though, that may make it a, you know, you need to use it um, for particular apps. Uh, I have heard that ShareFile is one of the best, um, and one of, one of our business management directories here just loves uh, ShareFile for his uh, clients, makes it super easy for them to upload documents. I think he just has a link in his email signature, and they can go and upload um, securely. Um, Ariana, thanks, thank you for attending, and, and, and thanks for saying well done. Really appreciate that. Um, Phil, I want to thank you for uh, joining me today, and I hope to have you on again sometime soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really right. enjoyed this. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>